Right. So like through the, you know, cause now like one of those videos has 20 million plays. So that means, you know, 10% of those people search for me elsewhere. Okay. They go like YouTube, they like Spotify, they come to Instagram. So I grew my first probably two to 350,000 listeners on Spotify just through Facebook video. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features annual fee, unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com. What's going on? Welcome to the new music business podcast brought to you by Ari's Take. My name is Ari Herstand, your host, author of How to Make It in the New Music Business, the book. So today my guest is Lucidius. He is a hip-hop artist originally from Virginia, now residing in Los Angeles. I've written a lot about him on Ari's Take, and I talk about him in the new edition of the book. Uh, He has a really interesting story on the business perspective. He has uh, over 500,000 monthly listeners on Spotify without any official playlist inclusion. He's on no uh, Spotify editorial playlists. He doesn't have a label. He doesn't have a manager. So he built up this this very large listenership and large following. He has over 150,000 Instagram followers, 250,000 Facebook likes. His numbers are incredible, especially with an artist without a label and without a manager. And this all translates into over $20,000 a month from streaming revenue. So I've talked a lot about him on uh, the blog and in the book because his business story is really interesting. And this is, uh, we teamed up to run an Ari's Tech Academy course on teaching artists how to run digital marketing themselves, utilizing Facebook and Instagram ads, and just growing their streaming game and their Instagram growth game as well. I brought him on today's episode because I wanted to go deeper with his story. Yes, of course, we talk about digital marketing, And we dig into all aspects of his business. So if you're here for that, which I'm sure most of you are, we're definitely going to touch on this. But he has a really interesting story. We we go deep into the music. We talk about uh, his family life. We talk about mental health issues. Uh, A lot of his audience um, come to him and connect with him on on deep issues. And they connect with him on deep levels because they're struggling with mental health. So I want to caution you that this episode gets kind of intense. Uh, We go real deep on many aspects of uh, psychology, but also um, we talk about suicide. We talk about um, we talk about drug use. We talk about how um, some very graphic messages that some of his fans have sent him. So I just want to caution you that if this can if this is going to be triggering for you, uh, I would advise you to use caution and, and maybe skip this one uh, because it, it, it gets a little heavy at times. But he also gives um, some some very practical tips on how artists can can deal with some of these. Um, messages that might get sent their way from fans, some of these darker messages that he's received from fans struggling with mental health issues. And he has actually created a very 
inspiring uh, resource for his fans and artists and other people that are struggling with mental health issues. So we we went we went real deep on in on this, and it was a, a very enriching, inspiring conversation for me to have, and I, and I think you're going to get a lot out of this as well. Uh, you can find uh, Lucidius on all the socials. Uh, it's Lucidius spelled L-U-C-I-D-I-O-U-S. All of these, his information is in the show notes. Of course, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ari Herstand or at Ari's Take. And then please sign up for the email list. That can be found at ariestake.com, where you'll be notified of all upcoming events and get regular information on the goings-ons in the music industry. Let's get to the interview. Most of my audience knows you because I've been talking about you a lot on the blogs and my email list and in my book um, as the guy who built up this massive worldwide audience without a label, without a manager, um, you know, without Spotify playlists, all that stuff. We're going to dig into that a lot later. Sure. Um, and that's, I know why a lot of people have tuned in because I want to kind of hear about that story. But I think I, I, I really want to start back at your beginning and really kind of talk about the music because I think a lot of times musicians and artists and everyone in the industry lose track of the most important aspect of everyone's operation and why we're doing all this. Yeah. It's because of the music and that we get, we sometimes we forget that everything is based on the music. And so take us back to kind of your beginning, how you started, um, what inspired you, like when did you start with uh, music and rapping and hip hop and, and who your earliest influences and just take us, take us back to the beginning. Wow. <laughs> Let's go there. Let's do it. <laughs> That's a big question. Yeah. Yeah. We'll start early. Just, yeah, uh, I mean, honestly, it, it, I think we all start relatively similar. We all fall in love with music. Mm-hmm. we we have influences and role models and at the end of the day, like Eminem, I mean, it's kind of obvious mm-hmm. that like you can tell I have a high influence from old school Eminem. Sure. But actually, I didn't start rapping until I was 18. I really? Yeah. I mean, wow. I don't consider following Eminem's lyrics and getting really dope at doing a cover track of Eminem. I don't consider that rapping. Okay. So I didn't actually start writing until I was 18. So yeah, when you were in high school, when did you, how old were you when you discovered Eminem? Probably like eight, eight or nine. Eight? And was it uh, the real Slim Shady? Is it like what? What are we talking here? Early Eminem, like "Hi, My Name Is." Uh, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. around "Hi, that My Name record. Is." Yeah, or, or it's like, is that yeah, yeah, okay. uh, Infinite, like that whole just that whole old school realm of. So of your Eminem. parents let you listen to Eminem when you were eight, huh? <laughs> you know, actually, yeah, they did. They did. All right, All but right. honestly, my family was kind of scattered. Like we, mm. my family is the kind of family that. We're all cool individually, okay. but we live in separate rooms. You know mm. what I'm saying? We come down for dinner. We were at back t- talking back then. Yeah. We come down for dinner. We had school. I was a competitive gymnast, so like I had no social life whatsoever. Oh, wow. Okay. So my home was pretty much eat dinner, go upstairs and listen to music. Wow. And play video games. Wow. After um, after uh, practice, like after, after practice, gym practice, yeah. Yeah, I was practicing like. 20 to 22 hours a week wow. of gymnastics. When you were super young? Yeah. Like how, when did you start gymnastics? When I was four. Whoa. Yeah. So. And you did it throughout how, how old? 14. Okay. Okay. And then during all that, I was also playing lacrosse, uh, mm. gymnastics year round. My dad was a lacrosse coach. And then I picked up wrestling mm-hmm. for like four or five years. But back to, to the music. Yeah. 
my family just never hung out hmm. as a crew. We never, we, we would always, you know, after we got home, we just went up to our own rooms, did our own thing. Hmm. And that's just kind of the lifestyle that we adopted okay. as a family. Yeah. Um, so this wasn't something that when you're, you're driving around with your parents, you would like pop in an M&M CD. No. This is all on your own. You knew that they might yeah. not be down for that necessarily. Yeah. Okay. My, my dad, <laughs> my dad is one of my, definitely like one of my biggest fans now. Mm-hmm. But he didn't become a fan of rap until I started releasing hip hop records. Interesting. So yeah. there was not, so they weren't playing any hip hop in the home. This was something that you discovered on your own. Did, did you have any siblings or older friends that got you into it? Or how did you discover hip hop? It's a really good question. <laughs> I actually don't remember the first time that I heard Eminem. Okay. Uh, I do have an older sister who's, she's super dope. I mean, okay. she is a phenomenal singer. She's got like 45 tattoos. She's just an extreme artist. Okay. So I've definitely sought after her and she's, she's sent me a lot of music. Yeah. But uh, I don't remember where, where did, it's so different now compared yeah. to where back right, then. Right, right, right. Like, did I go to a, did I go to a CD store and I just randomly picked out Eminem? Whereas right. now we come across it in social media. I mean, at that point, I mean, he was everywhere. So you probably, you could have heard MTV, him. At, yeah, I mean, MTV or at the mall or, or wherever. I mean, kids might've been talking about it. I mean, he right. was the, biggest star in the world what is this like late 90s early 2000s kind yeah. of thing yeah he was like one of the biggest stars in the world at that point so right. it's you know I, i'm sure at some way you discovered it but you were able to buy his cd and well, my mom okay I mean, I so she bought it right right, yeah. right and and so she was okay buying it even though with the explicit content logo on the front okay yeah. cool um so you got my little that. cd cd player pop it open listen to one cd at Disc a time man. yep and I knew the tracks. I mean, now we know titles and we know artists. But mm-hmm. back then, I knew, yo, skip the track 17. Mm-hmm. Skip the track mm-hmm. 9. I knew numbers more yeah. than I knew anything about Eminem or about the title of the song. Isn't that funny that that's how we used to consume music, as in we knew yeah. track numbers. For some reason, it was always like track 7 on my on all these albums was like my favorite track at right. all time. Like, it was always track 7. Right? All Is that my your fa- favorite number? No, it was just like, it just happened to be my favorite song. It was like the song that Ants Marching was on the early Dave Matthews Band records on Under the right. Table of Dreaming. It was the song that, um, yeah, just like that was the song for some reason. But And um, now we can't even get people to listen through a full album. <laughs> right. Let alone What's in, an album? In order. Right, Back right. then, it yeah. kind of had somewhat of an advantage. We didn't skip tracks. Right. We listened one, two, three, four. Mm-hmm. Now it's like they look at an album and they pick, well, that... 12 title looks pretty cool. I'll skip the 12. <laughs> right, right, right. And then they're like, oh, that didn't sound good. Skip the album. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a different level of um, music consumption. Totally. Um, so so you were, um, so when you said you didn't really start doing uh, your own music, like writing lyrics until you were 18. So throughout high school, were you just learning Eminem songs and just kind of just trying Basically, just like rapping along with him. Was yeah. that kind of what you were doing? Literally. Okay. I knew every lyric, every flow. Wow. Yeah. I, I was just obsessed yeah. with it. Yeah. Um, and I actually wanted to rap in high school, mm. but the, a, a few people in my crew and also some of the popular kids were yeah. rapping. Mm-hmm. And at that time, we care a lot about the way we look and like the way the way people view us. Yeah. I didn't want to follow their their footsteps and like mm. try to be a rapper. Okay. So I just kind of stayed in the background, you know, said, nah, like, I'll let them do it. So it wasn't even until college, mm. going into freshman year at George Mason University. And where's where that? It's in Fairfax, Virginia. And you grew Northern up? Northern Virginia. And where did you grow up? I grew up in Northern Virginia. Okay. What's yeah. the town? 
like Ashburn, like Loudoun County, Chantilly, Centerville. Okay. It's all within like 30 minutes outside of DC. And so you went to college right nearby, I right did. in town. Okay. Yeah. Did you live at home? 30 minutes from my house. No, I dormed. Okay. And then the next three years, we just rented out, got a, a bunch of roommates, all musicians. So then what inspired you to start writing your own lyrics and to start rapping? Um, and were you performing? Were you releasing music? Like how, what was that process and journey like at the very beginning? Well, I think everyone knows Eminem has some pretty harsh lyrics. Yeah. Deep ass lyrics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my family dynamics mm. and my relationship dynamics, my isolated lifestyle growing up, mm-hmm. it was a breeding ground for for me to become someone who speaks on tough topics, mm. writes deep lyrics. Like if I can't turn to necessarily my family to or even my friends to mm. talk about the shit that I was dealing with, mm-hmm. then how do I get it out? So I started... At that time, I didn't even have, I guess I had an iPhone at that time. Okay. And I started just writing just kind of like poetry mm-hmm. early on. Really sucked at rapping. Mm-hmm. I mean, I tried to do it out loud, like voice memos. We all we all start somewhere super low. Yeah. I was terrible. Hmm. I mean, I always had like a bass flow. Yeah. But like nobody kind of like wakes up and is super dope at their craft. Okay. We all go through these evolutions. So I sucked totally. initially, but I was just writing about tough family dynamics, like, you know, struggling to know what loving your dad is, struggling to know who is God, like, what do I believe in losing a relationship? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think all of us have lost relationships. So mm-hmm. I was writing a lot early on about toxicity, like between two people. Mm. Did you have a relationship in high school that went South. sour? Okay. Yeah. And then into college. Mm. So pretty toxic, lots of, lots of drama. In gotcha. that, and then, you know, obviously she had a tough background. I had a tough background. Bring those two people together mm-hmm. without any like awareness or therapy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go too well. Sure. So uh, music you, yeah. is what saved that. Mm. Did you grow up religious? And you said, what is God? Is this something that, what, where did right. that come from? God actually plays a big part in a lot of my music. I do okay. mention him a lot. Yeah. So my mom is, she's technically considered Methodist. Okay. So kind of like in a Christian realm, mm-hmm. my dad is a total atheist Okay, still to this day. Okay, So we did go to church every Sunday growing up. Really? I was baptized. Wow. Um, and your dad went along for the ride. My dad this. never went. Oh, so yeah. you and your sister and your mom. We would go. You went to church. Okay. Right. And mm. cool. Like I respect that now, especially being where I am now, he, you know, we, he still is not religious. Did you go to religious school or anything else? No, no. public, okay. public school. Gotcha. But she, he, um, he always just said, I was be like, well, dad, you know, why don't you just come with us? I was like, yeah. and he was just like, and tried to explain it. It's just not my belief system. Mm. Uh, and I was like, well, don't you want to go, even if we're wrong, don't you yeah. want to go with us? Yeah. You know, whatever happens if, what if we are right? What if you're wrong? <laughs> And I like it. And it <laughs> yeah, I've heard that before. I never manipulated him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I respect it now. <laughs> but he's, um, yeah, he, she, my mother is still very religious. Mm. My sister. Are your parents religious. still together? <laughs> Sorry. That size says it all. Okay. No, uh, I'm, no, honestly, I'm, my family knows it. I'm transparent about this stuff. Okay. Like, I talk about it in my music. I yeah. have no judgment yeah. on my story. Sure. Um, Technically, they mm. are still married. Okay. Yes. They were separated. Okay. Um, but still together. So like my whole life, my parents just lived in different rooms. Okay. 
same house, one just opposite sides of the house. And that was just the normal. That was just that was just how you guys lived. That was the that was your normal. This sounds screwed up, yeah. But it it was to the point where I would go to my friends' houses, mm-hmm. and I would be uncomfortable that I saw their parents touching. Wow. It it felt it felt wrong. I was like, hmm. parents are in your forties or fifties. And they're holding hands, mm. like while we're watching TV. That doesn't. I would like. I want to leave. I'll get anxiety. Like wow. And now, and even it's wild how like our nurturing and our environment mm-hmm. kind of dictates who we become. Mm-hmm. Even today, like sometimes I have to catch myself and being like, "That's a healthy relationship." Like people can grow old and be respectful and mm. still be loving. Mm. So those dynamics carried through my whole childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and for almost 22 years, mm-hmm. yeah, they lived in separate homes and then they separated. Separate rooms. Separate, same home. Se- separate rooms, Got same it. home. Yeah. And then they split but remained married. She moved out. Mm. You know, dad met somebody else. Um, dad ended up having another kid. So I have a half brother okay. who is five years old. He's incredible. Mm. They ended up not working out. And now my family's back involved again. So your mom too? Yes. With a five-year-old? Correct. So okay. it's interesting. I know like on the outside looking in, it's like very, you'd think it's just all jacked up. And I'm not going to argue that it's not. But like, you know, but with that being said, there's actually a lot of respect around it. So sure. right now they all live together. Mm-hmm. They all have each other's backs. And um, yeah, they all live in Virginia still. Mm. And as isolated as my family is, there's a lot of respect from like individual to individual. Mm. We're just different. We're just different people, mm-hmm. you know. Um, my parents stayed together because they thought that was best for us. Okay. And I think a lot of parents do that. Like sure. the, the relationship starts going south, and they're like, "Let's do it for the kids." Right. Right. And honestly, I don't know. But now their kids have been out of the home. Both for of a you long been time. Out, and and but they're still right. Kind of you know. Yeah. It's a comfortable it's a partnership. 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 They've sure. built such a, f- a foundation. Totally. From finances to just mm-hmm. just their daily routine, yeah. it's easy. So, so you were um, starting to write about this stuff and come to terms with just uh, the interesting uh, dynamic of your home life and your family life, um, and the dynamic of your of your family. Um, starting your freshman year of college, when maybe you started experiencing talking to other people at, in the dorms and kind yeah. of how their lives were, and you started to see more couples interacting, and it's like, huh. This is different. Um, so initially it was poetry. Then when did the rapping thing happen? Off. Yeah. Well, it definitely helped that uh, in addition to just starting to rap on my own, mm-hmm. irrelevant of just going to George Mason that summer, I started doing more raps. I was away from the high school crew. I had less judgment. I was like, I want to rap. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try this out. Do it mm-hmm. behind a closed door. Nobody can hear me. But like, yeah, I started it and it. I had three roommates freshman year, one of which is a phenomenal drummer. Okay. He's still drumming year round in Nashville for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. He started drumming like every night. He brought his drum set and, you know, to the house. We were roommates cool. for three years. Yeah. The classic old school hip hop. What happens when a dude's drumming and right. hitting beats <laughs> and it's like, yeah. oh, yo, come over here. Yeah. I'm like, okay. So I started freestyling and freestyling is just forget the skill aspect. It's fun. Yeah. I loved it. Like just releasing. It's mm. not about sounding cool. It's not about, 
you know, how many different ways can I rhyme this N word? Yeah. No, it's like, dude, what do you have to say? I hope zero ways that you rhymed an N word, the N word. I said N word. Oh, I'm like, dude, I've just for no. the record, yeah, yeah, he yeah. never uses the N word in no. anything he does. No. <laughs> this white guy here. Okay. No, 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 no. End. End e of the set. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. I had to, I had to make mention because I heard it one way. Right. Yeah. 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 N right. word. The end N-word. rhyme. Got, like it. People, got it. Got it. Like when a lot of people are freestyling, even just for fun. Yes. They're like trying to figure out and they're rhyming cat. The first thing like bat, flat, nat. Like right. they want to think about what rhymes mm-hmm. rather than using the sentence as a story mm. and then rhyming the end of the story. How did you learn to do that? I'm not okay. So I do genuinely believe that there is a natural, like an an innate ability. Yeah. That we, I think everyone can learn. Sure. But I think there is just like a natural skill that we all, we all have different skills. Yeah. And I'm just just predisposed to think on my feet, like respond quickly, be creative. Because in like jazz, uh, you can be a jazz saxophone major in college, and they teach you all the different modes. And then you transcribe Charlie Parker solos and you transcribe John Coltrane solos. And then you learn how each of the notes interact with the different chord changes and you learn. So like that's a jazz studies major and and they teach that. And that's how you learn to become a great jazz saxophone player. There are no college courses that I'm aware of that teaches you how to become a great hip hop artist. So I'm curious to know how did you learn at least a freestyle like i i conceptually understand you write lyrics you recite them you rap them whatever just like i sing them right but like to freestyle that's something that i am not good at uh (laughs) most um, i am rhyming bat with cat every time yeah (laughs) Uh, (laughs) so like uh i so why you just got better by doing it yeah okay it's fun like when i ran into i joined the music productions club at the college okay. because my roommate's friend was in it, kind of running it. Mm-hmm. So I luckily was almost pushed by affiliation into musicians in college. They mm-hmm. were just doing this on a daily basis. Mm. I was that kid by the by the end of the end, freshman year. I was performing on a stage in the middle of campus with one backtrack and a drummer. Twenty thousand kids walking by. Yeah. And like five actually stop and listen. Sure. And All you right. know this. You've yes. done this. I've done it tons of times. Is. More times than I like to <laughs> count. It's like anxiety driving, mm-hmm. but it's also amazing. Like it, it was so cool. It makes you a better performer. You start right. to see, even just by noticing as people walk by, which moments people latch on to. You're like, oh, oh, that's mm-hmm. interesting. You're like, oh. And then you make these yeah. mental notes as yeah. in like, oh, they they latched onto that moment. I kind of got that. And then you kind of integrate that. Or maybe you say something in between songs that somebody latches on to. Like, oh, that works. And then you kind of make a mental note. And then in future shows, you kind of bring that back up. You can see everything. Mm-hmm. You pick up on all the emotions. You also pick up on the, the crappy looks. When people are right. like, <laughs> is this kid white? And right. he's rapping at George Mason. Yeah. <sighs> Keeps walking. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, it's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But like, that's where it started. Yeah. And I was not good at that point in time. Yeah. I was just freestyling. We had like, we called it the Nova Underground. I was from Northern Virginia, so uh-huh. they call Northern Virginia Nova. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had this huge crew of people, like 30 people. We had one house and like bassists, guitarists, drummers, saxophone, like rappers, singers. We just created this. We were known to be like the music house on the campus. Mm. So people ca- caught wind of it. They would just kind of cool. come in, flow in. And that house was bumping like four nights a week, 
each different room had a different music vibe. Like mm. there's a battle going on in that bedroom. Mm. There's a drum session going on in that bedroom. Mm. And you just kind of, you just kind of <laughs> like jumped in and had new experiences. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But rap was like what held us all together. Mm -hmm. So freestyling and battling was like all we did. And were you listening to other rap artists, hip hop artists at this point in college where, where your friends bring yeah. you some new artist, and be like, yo, you got to check this person on this. And so did that expand? Um, Cause you started with Eminem in high school. Right. Where did you go in college? Yeah, it was predominantly Eminem up through high school. Okay, but college, sure. I became interested in a lot of different subgenres of hip hop. Because okay. we, I do feel like there's hip hop and rap but you can't compare Migos to Eminem. Sure. You can't, even, I mean, right. technically they're in the same genre, like in terms of um, Spotify or whatever you call it. Right. But I could conscious lyrical hip hop versus yes. like dance focused, of course, superficial, nothing yeah. against it. It's just two yeah. different styles. It's different purposes, right? Different so purposes. Like that's going to be in the club just to get people grooving and right. bumping and dancing and laid. And then this is <laughs> right. And then this is one that's like, you get a little introspective on. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, but I dove into artists who were still in that realm. The conscious realm. Conscious Got realm, it. storytelling, hip hop, MGK, Logic, Dizzy Wright, um, Immortal Technique. I loved Yellow Wolf. I, I got into TI, like, mm. but they all have similar elements. Okay. Yes, they have harder hitting beats, trap elements, whatever, but their lyrics mm. were always intentional, mm -hmm. telling stories through struggle, through like, anything like this. Mm -hmm. um, so I started branching out into different hip hop artists. Okay. But honestly, a lot of people wouldn't know it. 80% of the time, starting in college to now, mm -hmm. I'm listening to piano. I'm listening to cinematic track music like The Gladiator, Hans Zimmer. Um, I love strings and piano and calm music. I love mm -hmm. One Republic. Like yeah. hip hop is actually not what I listen to most of the time. Gotcha. Interesting. Um, when you say you listen to piano, what do you mean you listen to piano? Like just like piano instrumental yeah. music, like playlists on Spotify kind of yeah. thing? Oh, those are huge. Just, just <laughs> right. literally just piano. It's called rain. And it right. makes you feel, and it makes you feel like you're, <laughs> right. you're in rain. Calming piano. Right, right. That I kid you not. Like yeah, my Discover Weekly mm -hmm. is almost all like classical. Wow. If, if I hit play, the first 10 will be ambient soundtrack piano music cool i don't even most of the time they don't even have lyrics so i'm gonna fast forward a bit because that that's really interesting and i'm uh and curious to me uh with your productions now i know that you worked with producers and you still work with producers um how much say do you have in your productions and because of these diverse musical influences that you have now what you listen to primarily does that influence the style of production uh, for your releases now? Absolutely. It's different now than it used to be. Obviously, now okay. I have a full-time producer. So okay. me and my guy, Joel, like we sit down. Joel Woods. Joel Woods. Yeah. We're like from the ground up. Like he, he is running almost everything in mm -hmm. terms of building the production. But we'll sit next to each other. He'll either come to me and give me a beat. Be like, do you vibe with this? And I'll say, dope. Mm -hmm. But can we add piano there, drop there? Can we change the snare? I don't really vibe with it. Like we, we're working collaboratively. Okay. But initially, dude, I just searched YouTube for beats. YouTube, SoundClick. What year are we talking when you start? 2011. So when you when you decided that you wanted to release, uh, you wanted to make recordings. Yeah. You didn't know, you weren't interested in creating the productions yourself. No. And you didn't have any friends who were capable enough at that level necessarily that you wanted to work with. Right. So you search YouTube for beats 
piano, rap beats. And sad. You found this? Yes. And they exist. Like what? How oh, did they, that do, work? Do they exist? They are highly prevalent. If you go to YouTube and you yeah. go rap beats, yeah. There's some beats that have 45 million plays, and in the YouTube comments, people are battling. Like they're they're typing out their verses, and then what? Just, and then look it up on YouTube. Bro. <laughs> That's this so is like cool. This is like the independent beginning stage of like people who want to rap. Yeah, they start typing wow, them out they online. Put That's so interesting. And yeah. so you can buy these beats then from these these producers most of the time. Okay. Now, uh, so that's how you did your first record? Yep. You just, you Minus found... one track, two tracks on it. I had a friend put together two beats. But other than that, I found these beats randomly. And what are you paying for these beats? So, well, there's, you know, there's licensing, yep. there's exclusive right. uh, rights, and then there's ownership. Yep. So licensing, you can license a beat for $25. And that just means that you have the right to... To perform on it. Okay, and you release it, but it's not exclusive. Correct. So they could be licensing out to hundreds of people. They are. They yeah. are. And for $25 a pop. Yep. And and then they send them, like send you the stems? Or what do you get? There's literally different levels of licensing. Okay. 25 is basic. You get one flat wave file of the whole beat. Give us $75. We'll give you the waves for all of the instrumentals. Uh-huh. You give us $150. Stems, yeah. You can monetize it. And then like uh -huh. the, the, these producers are, they're smart. They're making money. Yeah. I don't blame them. Um, lots, hundreds, if not thousands of people are using their beats. Sure. But they're writing their own contracts. So like through soundclick.com, you buy a beat, they send you a contract. You have to follow the rules of that contract. Mm, okay. You know, like I can't set up content ID through YouTube because I don't own it. Right. Because so, they've now licensed it to hundreds of people. So they can't right. be, yeah. That makes so sense. first album kind of all screwed up because yeah. that was the beginning stages. Sure. And we can dive more into like, the formalization process yeah that's that's a big thing but second and third album i have ownership pretty much across the board e even yeah. for the beats i found mm -hmm. i reached to them and said yo we need i'm i'm, do I'm doing this seriously now i need yeah. you to give me a contract i'll cut you in a percentage mm. you know get it signed ownership's done exclusively exclusively and what are you paying for those typically uh those range like one okay. of my uh more one of the more common ones was like four grand wow yeah. for the holy shit mm -hmm. okay that's significant. That's serious. Yeah. Wow. Okay, four grand yeah. and back end percentage? No. Okay, right. And if, if you're going to pay that much money, I hope. No, there was if no they're percentage. not a superstar producer, then then there's no back end percentage there. Okay. okay. Right. And most of them were changing a lot of the production elements sure. and they're getting like 5 or 10% okay. on publishing. Okay. It's not a big deal. Okay. Yeah. Um, but now me and my producer, we split like 50-50. Like right. Know, he he's he's building from the so, ground. So um, I want to dig into that in a second, but the, the, um, the first album where you bought these beats, uh, now were you getting the commercial license that was non-exclusive or were all the songs that you released exclusively yours? Non-exclusive. <laughs> so these same instrumentals, these beats are around Everywhere. the internet. Oh, absolutely. And you do, have you heard them? Have you recognized have them? them. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. And wow, okay. sometimes, most of the time, they're terrible. Yeah, yeah. Just rappers that lease wow. these beats and want to... And this album is still online right now. Which album yeah. is this? Reflections. Reflections. Okay, so Reflections. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here. Don't go listen to it. Ladies and gentlemen. No, no yeah. I mean... The, it's not yeah. bad. There's some good stuff on it. Right, but the productions, that's so interesting. So how many different producers did you work with for that album? Or how many beats did you purchase from different producers? Um, Maybe like seven or eight. Okay. Interesting, but there was a cohesion that you felt absolutely okay, which came back to like the question you were saying earlier. Yeah, piano, strings, uh, what I call like dark cinematic hip hop. Sure, 
I almost always, I'm, I'm just pulled toward mm -hmm. that type of vibe. So mm. you will hear it a lot throughout the tracks that I've done. Okay. You know, we're expanding more now. Yeah. Like, especially because we have the studio in our house, producers with me, we've got nothing but time to just yeah. experiment. Cool. But before I had a producer, I was limited to what I found online. Yeah. And I can't just like pull the stems and then build it from there. I don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So I just had to take whatever I heard, write a song to it, get it mixed and then move on. Did you run into any issues with that for, with reflections on um, it getting pinged on YouTube or someone else as YouTube, a, yeah. that there was a sample or that there yeah. was a cover or that was something else that you weren't aware of? That still happens today. Well, that's like Lil Nas X right. when he bought that beat uh, for Old Town Road. There was he bought the beat for what thirty dollars and didn't realize that there was a nine inch nails sample that was being used in that because right. that's when you go to these click whatever things you call it um, all these sites when you ask the, for the beat from the producer oftentimes the producers are kids they right. don't really know that you can't actually use a sample from a from no. a song that's released they're like oh I made the beat they don't realize right. that you actually have to have made a hundred percent of every aspect of that beat other then like the samples or loops within, you know, Logic or Ableton, or if you like get, you know, royalty free samples from like Splice or something like that, you right. know, those kinds of sounds, you can't chop up somebody else's song that's already been released. Most kids don't realize that. And so that's what gets, you know, people like Lil Nas X into trouble with that. I mean, they worked that deal out because it's sure. the biggest song ever. Right. But um, so did you run into that at all? Yeah, absolutely. I still do. I and got, what I got, happens? Are they I got like, hit with a content you know, copyright warning last week to a song that I do have written agreement on. But because oh. he had previously was doing non-exclusive agreements to other people, there's a lot of artists that are like going through the orchard or going through uh, TuneCore mm -hmm. and they're signing up for YouTube monetization. Right. But they don't have the right to do that. But the, the distributor can't really distinguish. They wouldn't know. Yeah. They're just doing their job. Right. So I'll get hit with a track that I'm allowed to monetize uh, and I'll have to hit back and be like, yo, lift this immediately. Like yep. I've got a contract hmm. and within a day okay. it's lifted. So, so even the, the songs that you bought the, uh, license for, they were, and you had the contracts for, for like your second album, um, they still weren't exclusive to you. Not all of them. No. Got it. Okay. No. Okay. Third album minus one, 100% exclusive. Okay. And built from the ground up. Made for you. With us. Got it. Yeah. Um, but there were no, have you have you been hit by any labels that said that this there was a sample of one of our songs mm -hmm. that we used that you didn't know about? No. That's good. Okay. Yeah, That's I'm great. sure it will happen at some point. Well, hopefully not. Right. Hopefully none of the beats yeah. that you bought used samples from big, right. from released songs because those producers knew better. Right. Um, mm. Uh, who knows? So, they don't, or, or they just they didn't. don't care. Okay. In fact, in some of these contracts, it says by by leasing or purchasing this instrumental, all third party samples are your responsibility. Oh my gosh! So like, huh, we're gonna I build. Would never do that. Don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're gonna build. We're gonna build our beat. But hey, whatever happens, it's on you. Oh god! All right, all right. So for all the hip hop artists out there right now, Stop. don't do, like that is a scary practice. I mean, yeah. granted, I understand they don't have four thousand dollars. They don't to have get a choice. A beat made. So, well, I feel like, are there, do you know of um, marketplaces where they're selling beats that are legitimately cleared, or at least there's some? Yes, some I mean, SoundClick. That's where I SoundClick. get them. SoundClick. SoundClick.com is where I got almost all of my beats. And is there, is there, are there, are there people at SoundClick that are 
vetting these things, no. saying that this is clear, there are no third-party samples, because the no. technology exists. All yeah. you need to do is run it through like a their own version of Content ID, and or like Shazam, you know? Right. It's like the technology exists. Honestly, you just plug in Shazam to SoundClick, and it's like, they will catch if there's a, you know, if there's a sample being used. I mean, it wouldn't be Shazam, but this, it's sonic recognition software. This stuff does right. exist. And so, you know, Dubset is an organization, a company that's been working on this for remixes. Because right. like, if you have a a 10 minute, um, uh, for like DJ tracks. So like when DJs, let's say do like a 30 minute set, they might integrate, you know, 27 different songs into that 30 minute set that are all remixed together. Sure. Dubset and other technology can go in there and they can pick out every single sample and every single song. Technology's there. Yeah. I'm curious and I don't know. And if anybody does know, I'd love to hear about it. If there are any companies like this selling beats that are running them mm. through this thing. So you don't have a little Nas X uh, thing happen right. where, you know, it's uh, <laughs> there happens to be a nine inch nail sample in there. Okay. The Definitely answers. not in 2011, but maybe. Maybe, maybe now. Maybe now. But maybe you now. haven't been in this world now for buying a couple beats. years. Okay. Couple years. Uh, and the bottom line is because yes, mm-hmm. that's an issue. Yeah. The bottom line is artists at that point in in time where I was buying beats, looking at YouTube, SoundClick. Sure. No one's thinking about that because nobody you know knows. Oh, it's like, a lack of education. I didn't care. Yes. I wasn't even thinking about making money at that time. You I was care. like, I just want to rap. And right. where can I find a beat? Without, yeah. I'm not trying to use Eminem's beat. Right. I'm trying to find something and we vibe to it. We're mm. freestyling for four hours and then we find a beat we love. Yeah, we download it. We go to our room. We write a track. Mm. We're not thinking about content ID, right? And, 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 and ownership. <laughs> and how can I make right. money? How Publishing can I distribute splits. this? Right, none of that, dude. That takes a couple of years before we're like, wait a second, <laughs> I'm doing this wrong. I can make money from this, right? And then all these ridiculous questions come in the yep. business side, right? Which is what you do, right? And dude, that's like a just you know that's a can of worms. That's just a direction every artist hits that wall mm. where they're like. Shit. <laughs> okay. And they have right. to step back and they have to ask so many questions and shift up so many strategies and registrations. And that's and when they buy my book. And that's when they <laughs> Right. A little product placement we're going to throw yeah. in there. Buy my book now. No. Um, right, it's right, true right. though. Yeah. It's true though. Yeah. And this went on for me from 2009, 2010 for at least five years, four mm-hmm. years where I was just blindly creating, blindly learning, having fun, taking breaks, still had a job, still had school, and just did not think once about how to make money or do this properly. So when you released Reflections, you released your first album, did you just put it on SoundCloud or did you distribute it officially and get it out on, on, well, let's see, 2011, that would have been iTunes then at that time. Yeah, I went formally through TuneCore for like two singles. Okay. And then throughout the process, before I actually put the album together, one of my friends came to me. He's a producer. He's been DJing for a long time. Mm-hmm. He was like, he just came to me. He's like, what the f- are you doing? Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Because you are, you have no synchronization to your usernames. Uh, you, you aren't really properly registered anywhere. You, you, you haven't protected your songs. Who did you release this, this album under? What name? Was L- it Lucid? Lucid. Lucid. It was Lucid. Just Lucid. Just Lucid. L-U-C-I-D. Yeah. So this album came out under Lucid, which well, the pro- not the album, just the just the singles, the singles, yeah. And that was your name then, right? Which probably not helpful for SEO purposes. Uh, That's exactly why we changed it. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah, Lucid. 
means expressed clearly yes. and easy to understand. Yep, like a lucid so like, dream. Lucid dream, mm -hmm. like the psychology aspect, I've lucid dreamed, like, mm -hmm. and I've other spiritual experiences that made me think, wow, lucid's a great, dope word. Yeah. Uh, named myself lucid. Searched for myself on, on Google and got lucid light bulbs, yeah. lucid bed frames, <laughs> right. lucid whatever. Yes. Like, so yeah, he, he kind of came to me and he was like, you need to make a decision because you are one using a name that you're just drowned out. You're not unique, right. it's a dope word, but like mm -hmm. on top of that, you're doing YouTube music videos, but you don't have any formality for mixing, mastering, um, again, username synchronization. Mm -hmm. What do you wanna do? Mm. And he, he freaked me out. Mm. He's, that's the first conversation where I was like, wait, do I wanna take this seriously? Mm -hmm. Or do I just wanna you know, side hustle freestyle yep. every once in a while? Overnight, once I figured out my name, I changed it from Lucid to Lucidius. I found out there's only one other Lucidius in the whole world. He's in the UK. It's a band. And there's like a couple guys in like their 40s. Okay. And cool. I mean, respect for the name because I love the name. Sure. Um, but they're not taking it very seriously. They're just doing sure. some live stuff. I was like, this is a pretty safe name. Um, overnight, within like an eight-hour window. And I, I probably had like 10,000 likes, 10,000 um, fans on Facebook at that time. Okay. I switched every platform from Lucid to Lucidius. Is this 2011, you're saying? 2012? Oh, no. This is like 2013. Oh, okay. Um, maybe even 14. Yeah, 14. Wow. Yeah, I, I didn't switch from Lucid for a, quite a while. So that's a big deal because yeah. you're changing a name. It was a big deal. That's it a was, huge deal, especially if you had 10,000 likes at that point. Right, and it was definitely anxiety inducing. I would imagine. And I was stressing out, no one cared. The truth is, yeah. it'd be much harder to change my name now. Uh -huh. It would be like, a shock to a lot. Right. I wouldn't do it. No. But like back then, felt like a big deal. Ended up being the best decision I made. But overnight, switched from like Twitter to Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, right. changed my name everywhere. Mm. I have synchronized usernames everywhere. It's either Lucidius or Lucidius Music. Uh, are those two songs still up on the platform as Lucid? No, you took them down. Yeah, okay. there's no there's no affiliation with Lucid. Gotcha. Um, and that was really the the starting point of like. Okay, how do I how do I do this? How do I take it seriously? So, were you still in college at this point when you, I switched? Yeah, no, I was out. I graduated. When did you graduate? Thirteen. Oh, okay, okay. So for 2011, 12, 13, you were still in school. You had this music out. Just having fun. Were you performing around I college? I was performing a lot at local bars in like okay. Fairfax, Virginia, cool. and then also, like I said, performing on campus. Yeah, for the yeah. Music, music Productions Club. So 2014, um, you switched the name over. You are in Virginia still, working- In Florida. You're in Florida. What are you doing in Florida? Graduated uh, George Mason University with a criminology law and society degree with a focus on Homeland Security. <laughs> okay, uh, random, yeah. amazing. I made that decision after September 11th, even though I was young. Wow. Uh, after I like hit 11 years old and I was like, what the hell just happened? We got called out of school, the buildings are burning, people right. are dying. Went down to my dad and I was like, I made that decision at that time that I wanna be involved wow. in whatever prevents things like this. Mm. Um, I literally from that day forward did everything planning on a criminology degree and criminology when you were career. 11? Yeah, I'm not wow. dead serious. Uh, all, I, all I did was talk about it, like my family knows this from, yeah. from way back then. Yeah. And oh my. what changed that was my senior year, I did an internship for the National Rifle Association, the NRA. And I went and I worked for six months in the law enforcement division 
And I also crossed cross worked with the um there's a law enforcement division at the NRA. There is. Uh, and basically it's their job. It's like the sect that handles uh all of the communication, like the liaison between law enforcement agencies and the NRA. Interesting. Um and I also work with the legislative action. Uh, I, I just went back and forth as an intern, just doing okay. administrative work. And so throughout that six months, I'm sure as you can imagine, there's a lot of extremists at the NRA. Yes. Uh, I don't need to imagine. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying anything bad about the NRA. Sure. It's just, uh, it's a controversial. There's extremists in a lot of organizations, but we, it's well documented the extremists that are card-carrying members of the NRA. That's, that's no surprise to anyone, including the NRA. So Right. They right. know. They know. And met met great people there, good influences. My mm-hmm. my two bosses, one was recon in uh, the Marines, mm-hmm. fought in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. The other one was SWAT from Fort Lauderdale. So these guys are dope. Uh, they, they took me under their wing. I, I learned a lot uh, about the criminology lifestyle mm. and it freaked me out. Like wow. okay. I met people from the CIA, you know, CBD, uh, CBD, Customs and Border, CBP. You know you've been living in California <laughs> when. <laughs> CBD is good for you, all right? right. <laughs> um, uh, people from the FBI, like, I was meeting all these retired agents. Yeah. And they were good people, but they were very unhappy. Mm. Rigid. They'd seen too much. Emotionally stressed. PTSD. Wow. I'm like, okay. I literally changed my mind. I was about to graduate college. Hmm. Almost 21 years old. Got my degree and the debt that comes with it. And then a month out, I was like, I changed my mind. I even went to two different high schools, my Mm. senior year of high school. I went to one school a day for my general studies. Mm -hmm. The second day I went for administration of justice. Went to a totally different high school just for criminal justice. So like, it was a big decision. My dad was like, wait, what? You changed your mind? And I was like, not only did I change my mind, I'm moving to Florida in seven days. And I moved from right after I graduated I moved and drove a thousand miles south and I took a full commission sales job wow. in insurance. Whoa. How did you land that and find that? And whoa, that's a change. My roommate in college, his dad, his stepdad worked for an insurance company uh-huh. that sold supplemental health insurance. Okay. Dude making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. He was like, how would you like to be in West Palm Beach? I was like, that sounds amazing. <laughs> Have you been there before? No. No. <laughs> just sounds sexy. It sounds like there's right. yachts and like cars. <laughs> right. West it Palm sound, Beach. It sounds better than uh, Virginia. So <laughs> I was like, didn't like my career. There's a lot going on with my family at that time. Okay. That was when that split was going down. Mm, sure. My dad met somebody new. All these things were going on. Sure. So I should have known back then. This company didn't help me with relocation fees. I pay, I lost a lot of money moving there. And right when I got to Florida, the job fell through. Oh no. For three oh. months. So oh. I was like, oh, dude, this was the best summer of my life. I know it's not, it was I was so stressed. I was eating ramen noodles. Like I was I was just going out partying. How are you paying rent? Beach. Well, I brought a savings with me. Oof. And All right. I'd started I I actually worked at a um I got hired real quick at a place called the Law TV. Okay. My job was to cold call law firms, which is terrible gatekeepers at law firms that's like the roughest market and to pitch them and convince them that they needed video content for seo whoa try doing that yeah no thanks did that for three months (laughs) barely got by and then and then the job worked out because i worked in the education field so i had you know teachers have their summers off yeah so i started selling full commission supplemental health insurance to teachers 
Hmm. <sighs> Cancer coverage, cardiovascular coverage, oh, accident coverage, Oof. disability coverage. I did it for four years. So basically these calls, are you scaring the shit out of them, telling them like, hey, you're gonna get something like this, so you better insure yourself for this. These aren't calls. I went into schools all, oh. all around South Florida once a week, uh-huh. and I did a presentation in front of between one to 200 teachers. I said, hi, I'm here with blank, 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 blank. I'm here to talk to you about cancer. Oh my gosh. That was my job for oh, four God. years. <laughs> and oh, so they sold me on the idea of residual income royalties. Mm. Like the idea of doing something once and being paid for the rest of your life. Because you got commission for every- Plan. Every plan and since these plans are paying monthly, you get monthly checks essentially or whatever. Every person I sell, I get 5% of that fee Mm. every month for as long as they stay a client. Are you still getting checks? Very minimal amounts. Like I'll I'll see like $5 come in, like $10 come in. I don't know, but I think that's another reason I left. Yeah. It wasn't a very trustworthy. Sure. <laughs> They're probably just pocketing a lot. They were they were selling okay. me on like by in 10 years I'll have six figures coming in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. And I was right. like, hell yeah. yeah. I'll sell whatever you want. Right. Like, right. Um throughout this process of selling my soul um <laughs> and becoming very damaged. Uh-huh. Don't ask me about the statistics. Yeah. I know them all and they are terrifying. I don't want to know. Uh, it's my know. job to bring that to them Mm-mm. and then to give them a plan mm-hmm. to fix it. It's what insurance is. Uh, yep, yep, makes sense. So the whole point, I moved, How long to, you I moved there? to Florida. I was there for like three and a half, four years. And during this time, I had a lot of lows, a lot of depression because yeah. I'd have weeks where I'd made no money. Mm. And then I'd have one week where I was number one in the country. And I would go from like high to low, high to low. Wow. That's sales. sales. And at the same time, I was enjoying a dope life on the beach, mm-hmm. meeting great people. And this was the turning point. This is where everything happened because I went to a personal development course with one of my buddies. It's like a 33-hour course over the weekend where they basically like break- a conference kind of thing? What do you it's mean more of like It's more of like a therapy, intimate curriculum huh. where three therapists over the course of a long weekend break you down what? to as far as you can be broken down. One-on-one? There's- 25 students and there's about a hundred supporters with like they're just watching and interacting and making like pushing you and i'm talking about like not saying this is my story but like on day one they'll get you to talk about your dad who beat you when you were five oh my gosh and they in go front of, in front of everybody? In front of everybody. What do you mean a hundred supporters that are there watching this thing? What does that mean? Angel. There were people, there were people who had already gone through the course. So they, they too had been students and then they come back. And the purpose of this is? Emotional healing. Like okay. to understand okay. childhood trauma, uh, hmm. you know, present day habits, you know, dynamics within ourselves. How it's we're like operating. group therapy almost. Intense, Intense group therapy. Group therapy. Okay. therapy is very like, so tell me about yourself. Yep. This is very like, if you're going to stay, we're going to ask you some of the hardest questions cool. that you've ever answered or maybe have never answered. Whoa. And we're going to not only talk about it, we're going to make you feel the emotion behind it. Mm. That's anger, like sadness, fear, people screaming, like crying, like just a crazy intense uh, personal development course. Huh. I did that for two years. I did it every six weeks for two years. Wow. And that is why, which we can get into after, this Mm. is why my brand is so focused Mm. on mental health, emotions, 
anxiety, depression, suicide. Yeah. I'm comfortable with this stuff because I've, wow. I've worked through it. And I met the guy there that changed my music career. Mm-hmm. Uh, Derek, you know, Derek, mm-hmm. he literally, so Jack was the first dude that was like, what are you doing? Synchronize your stuff, get mixed, make this more professional. And Derek was the first guy that said, Lucid, you're really dope, but if you don't learn how to market yourself, you're gonna be doing this for the rest of your life. You're gonna stay right here. You're mm-hmm. gonna make dope stuff, you're gonna keep rapping, yeah. but you're always gonna have a 95 mm-hmm. and you're never gonna make money mm-hmm. from music. Um, and he showed me how to market. Hmm. And I met him in the personal development course. Wow. So. This, I mean, that's the thing. Like the puzzles of life are so interesting. So you had how much music at, out at this point? This is now we're talking, what, 2014, 2015? One album. You had one album. You had Reflections out. You met Derek. Yep. Uh, he's like, uh, let me teach you about marketing. And were you still, were you performing at all in Florida? Maybe. I think I performed twice. In the Maybe. three years that you were the there? three years. Three years yeah. that you were there. Okay, so no, not really performing. No. And what were those shows like? What were the... I mean, one was like a rooftop bar, super dope place called mm-hmm. Roxy's on Clematis Street. Okay. It's like performing on the main street in DC. Okay. It's a great place. But I just got it because I, I started to get back into music. Mm-hmm. I went up to the general manager and I was like, yo, can I perform? Like, yeah. it's been a long time. He said yes. Okay. I was like, I opened one or two tracks. Sure. Didn't even get paid. Yeah. Um, but at this point in time... I was still trying to make money nine to five Mm -hmm. and just kind of half-assing music on the side. Yeah. Even though I already decided to take it seriously Mm -hmm. without the formal marketing process, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the starving artist thing is very real. Right. So although I was doing art, it Mm -hmm. felt like it was hidden. Yeah. My job, my job was nine to five. How are you building up? uh, You said you had like, before you switched over your name, you had 10,000 likes and stuff like that. Where did those come from? I don't really know. I didn't, okay. I didn't do any form of marketing. I mean, probably okay. my school, my yeah. friends, people I knew. Like okay. there, there was definitely, I mean, at that point in time, I had like two or three high quality music videos. Oh, so like, okay. you know, something there was something YouTube, for people to work you a little bit. Okay, okay. So organically, right. school is a great network to start with. You had the YouTube, you know, some music videos, high quality stuff. Okay, so they came in. But there's so, a limit. Right. So Derek sits you down. He's like, Lucid. The name Lucid is not going to work for SEO purposes. Let's switch over your name. So you decide Lucid is. And he's like, you need marketing. And then you're yeah. probably like, what is marketing? And yeah. so what what happens next? He shows you Facebook? Facebook. Okay. He literally set up a video views campaign on Facebook. And this is 2015. August 2015. Okay. So video views yeah. campaigns were was a thing in 2015. Yeah. Um, probably one of the only things. Right. One of the only things. Um, and it what what started happening then? Um, it, it started growing really fast. And not many people were running music campaigns with videos on mm-hmm. Facebook. Mm-hmm. So it started getting, gaining a lot of popularity. Um, you know, 10,000 views like by the week. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's new to me. I, fuck, I only had 10,000 views once yeah. in five years. Wow. So it was like 10,000 wow. and it was 20,000, 30, 40. And these are Facebook views. So it's not like. Sure. Those are three second know, views. It's not a big deal. True. But still, those are those numbers are real. And yeah. Who, who else is getting 50,000 views if you're just right. like happening? It's not happening. Right. And not only the view, but the, the reality of what my music was doing started 
to settle in. Mm -hmm. Comments, direct messages about depression, anxiety, and suicide. Like this stuff came in within a week or two. Like wow. mar marketing, marketing triggered a different level of exposure mm. that I'd never experienced before. Uh, and I still now kind of consider myself relatively small mm -hmm. compared to, you know, big league artists are monumental with millions and millions and millions of monthly listeners. Yep. I'm not saying I'm small, but just having 10 or 20,000 is a big jump from sure. someone who's used to having zero. And where were these, so you're running video views campaigns to get the, just more views on the, uh, on the videos. Were yeah. they then? They were translating to Facebook likes. Okay, so they're then liking your page. Right. And then I would go and on comments, Facebook and messaging Live. And... Yeah, oh, okay. absolutely. So then I did you... Facebook Live, I posted a lot. Got it. I interacted via, you know, back with direct messaging. Mm -hmm. I started developing my fan base solely through Facebook. Mm. At that point in time, I think my Instagram was like maybe 400 followers. Like okay. uh, very small, yeah. very small. And, um, you know, it was not the focus. Like right. Facebook was the golden nugget. Mm. And then, you know, from there, I pretty much, let's say, actually, no, after that, that, that ran for about a year. Mm -hmm. And then I decided to move back mm -hmm. from Florida to Virginia. Mm. And I met people who were very much strongly a part of my life. Uh, now I met mm -hmm. Marissa, I met my mixing engineers, I met my mastering engineer and all we, in Virginia. All in Virginia. Okay. From moving back, mm. I met them all there. Now, were you making any money on music at this point? No. No. Okay. So the Facebook likes were coming in, but that that does that didn't translate to any money no at money. all. You had nothing to sell these fans. They weren't no. there. weren't streams. They weren't buying downloads or anything like that. Technically, iTunes was okay. available, but like yeah. it was so it wasn't minimal. Translating. It was so minimal. Okay. Um, and at that point in time, I had to put money into marketing, which was like. Three to four hundred a month. So you're spending three to four hundred a month. You're not making not making anything. anything back. And no. how long did this go on for? Oh, almost two years. Two years of spending three to four hundred dollars a month without making any money back. Making money back, but not breaking even. Okay, not breaking even. You can't say that like every stream is or purchase on iTunes is technically paying me back. But it was such a oh, low, okay. such a low amount. So eventually, did you start pointing uh, people to iTunes or to? No. No, you were just still yeah. trying to get the Facebook likes. For almost three years, I never marketed with an intention of building a separate platform. It was just Facebook. All Facebook. Just Facebook and overflow. Right. So like through the, you know, because now like one of those videos has 20 million plays or something, right? On Facebook? Okay. On Facebook. So that means, you know, 10% of those people search for me elsewhere. Okay. They go like YouTube. They like Spotify. They come to Instagram. But I never did like direct. Probably less, probably 1%. Probably 1%. Not 2 million people I'm, are finding you elsewhere. 100%. Right. <laughs> I'm just saying like, I'm just saying like whatever that small percentage is, there's sure. there like a small overflow yeah. and they found me in other places. Gotcha. So I grew my first probably two to 350,000 listeners on Spotify just through Facebook video views. Interesting. So you weren't pointing people to Spotify. They were just finding you because they were they liked you on Facebook initially because of these videos. They liked right. they found that video and then they just sought it out. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I Got posted it. I posted on my Facebook page all the time. Like sure. Check me out on Spotify. Check me out on YouTube. How was that engagement? Early on it was really good. Okay. I mean I had high levels of engagement. Okay. Now I have two hundred and fifty thousand fans on there. Mm -hmm. I can't even get a hundred likes mm. because Facebook is so domineering over their content. Like, right. Basically, if you don't pay Facebook again, right, right, 
you're just not going to get engagement. Right. And right. Instagram is becoming mm. kind of similar. So uh, some of these people are translating over to Spotify and they're starting to listen to you on Spotify. When do you start to see that you're actually making some money? Money. That's like, oh, this is actually turning into money. Right. That's a good question. Um Real quick, I want to let you know about DistroKid. Well, I'm sure you already know about DistroKid, but they are partners with Ari's Take, and they are a great company that can help get your music distributed to Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all of that. Over a million artists use DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I have distributed some of my music in the past. And something I appreciate about DistroKid as not just an artist, but someone who studies this space is they have been one of the most innovative companies over the last 10 years. They came in and completely changed the game. One of the first companies offering unlimited uploads, and now most of the other distributors have had to change their policies to kind of copy and follow suit uh, what DistroKid was doing, and the industry had changed, of course. DistroKid doesn't keep a commission. That means you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings from the DSPs. They also offer payment splitting. They call it splits, something that for me at this point is a deal breaker. I don't want to have to cut checks to all my collaborators and the producers and everybody else that is owed royalties and owed splits from my earnings. DistroKid will cut those checks directly. You can get them to uh, your collaborators to sign up, and then DistroKid will cut all the checks to all your collaborators. And they were one of the first to offer that of the DIY self-service distributors. DistroKid continues to innovate. Check them out. If you need to get your music out there, districtkid.com. After I put the second album together. Okay. Which was in Virginia. Okay. And then I was in Virginia for two years, put the second album together formally with mm-hmm. one mixing engineer, one team, mm-hmm. had the distribution through DistroKid. I was starting to get my, you know, my mm-hmm. bearings together. Had my trademark, the copyrights, the registrations. I understood more going on. Mm-hmm. I started registering with different royalty collections. Sure. So yeah, the money started slowly coming in. I have been over breaking even and profiting for the last two years. So, so that record came out in 2016. The end of 15. End of 15. And then torn between pages. Yeah. We're talking. You'll know. Okay. You'll know better about when did reflections versus reflections came out. Twenty fifteen. Torn between pages. Twenty sixteen. Great. Enough this year. Yeah. But so yeah. probably the end of two thousand seventeen is when I'm like, okay, gotcha. I'm profiting. So you released the second record, right? And people, were you were you running any ads, sending people to Spotify or Apple Music, iTunes, anything like that? No, still just Facebook. Still just Facebook. And they I were just starting you. I started to experiment. With like Instagram feeds. Okay. Started playing with, same thing though, video okay. views, no call to action. Sure. Just check out this music. Gotcha. And um, so you start to now build up an Instagram audience a little bit. Right. Okay. And they're now starting to find you on Spotify and you're like, oh, I'm making some money. Now, what, yeah. what kind of money are we talking about at this point? Uh, at that point in time, yeah. you know, yeah, like probably 500 bucks a month. Okay, that's something. That's sure. significant, Comes especially in. if you're spending three to four hundred dollars. So now you're like netting a hundred dollars, almost, right? right? Almost, right? That's the difference. Amazing. Is that es- that extra hundred dollars either went right to the next music video or sure. went back into marketing? Of course. So you're not you're not making a livable income, mm-hmm. absolutely, but at least you're seeing an ROI. You're right. seeing this return on investment. Right. So okay. I, I start I started building the funnel. 
where it becomes a revolving door, right? Mm. Just kind of what I invest comes back to me. Okay. And then, and then it grows. And then I invest more and more comes. And okay. then just this bubble started growing. So, and then you just kind of keep experimenting. Now, is Derek still in the picture at this point? Is he helping yeah. you through all this? He is the he, he's my go-to guy for anything technology related. Amazing. Um, and he's now a business partner as well for, sure. for other ventures. So okay, he is cool. totally in the picture. So he kind of trains you and as Facebook advertising evolves and then, you know, Instagram advertising starts up, you're starting to experiment on all of these uh, different avenues. Right. When do you, when do you think about, or when do you guys decide, like, what if we try to point people to Spotify? To the direct platform. To the direct platform, to Apple Music. Right. It's like, that's where we're making money. So why make them go to Facebook when Facebook isn't paying us? How about we just send them straight to these platforms? Mid 2018. Wow. So just like a year ago or something yeah. like that. A Incredible. Year, year, year and a half. Year plus. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so yeah. All right. I had a pretty significant following already by the time I switched. Yeah. And then I went from, that's when I went from like 250 250,000 monthly listeners and started really climbing all the way to like 560,000. Mm. So that was like, once I switched it to direct marketing, that exponential growth really took off. Wow. And you were still just using Facebook or Instagram? Instagram, Instagram at this point. Yeah. Instagram. And so Instagram ads, uh, were you still doing Facebook too? Or did you, did you try to? I'm still doing Facebook now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so I, I have, I try to do every placement, mm -hmm. even if it's a low level budget. I just try to keep things turning in, in and every the, angle. And the ads we're talking are still video ads. Always. Okay. So you're continuing to create new video content. Are we talking music videos? Yeah. Okay. Very formal, official. Like even if there was some, you know, inconsistencies, you can tell this video is professional. Like, you know, it's not in my room. It's not with an iPhone. Right. I paid at least two grand, three grand to put these videos together. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they look super pro. Right. Um, Two to three grand you're making per video. Okay, right. that's solid. I mean, that's still on the cheap, but but oh for, yeah, for no, music, he was doing the, me a favor. Yeah. This is a one man show. Dude is a great videographer. He did the video. He did the editing, the directing, the coloring. Yeah, I he kind of saved my ass. Yeah, for two three thousand dollars for the way that your videos look, like that's amazing. Okay, it's not two or three anymore. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, like, like damn. Saying, no, no, no. All this right. is like we're talking like five six videos back. Got it. That budget. Okay. has gone up okay. a lot since then. So what you knew that you needed high quality video content yeah. to, um, because you saw how people were responding to that and that is what got them into your ecosystem. So that was the first touch that they got because yeah. you'd show them a video, they would see that video, they would then come into your Facebook page, they'd like the stuff on Facebook, they'd like your page, oh. and then you started sending them to Spotify, Apple Music, anywhere else or are you just pointing them to those <clears throat> platforms um, spotify apple music youtube mm -hmm. instagram and that's it so um all right so now it makes sense initially you you're just bringing them to facebook you were building up a, a fan base this way so people were communicating you said you got right. some pretty intense um messages because people latched on to the lyrics in your in your music yeah um and the messages that you were talking about now, were these people coming, where are they coming from? Are they all US based or where are these people from? Um, half and half. They're, I'm, I mean, I'm kind of fortunate, especially because US is good for touring and good for streaming. Sure. Half of my fan base is, is US. Okay. But the other half is everywhere. Wow. Um, I have people reaching out to me at any time. I could pick up my phone and be like, 
it'd be Egypt, and the next one would be New Zealand, then Singapore, then, wow. then Italy, and yeah. then deep in Nigeria. I mean, it's crazy. Mm. They're everywhere. Mm. And there is a there's like a synchronicity and a connectedness to all of them. Mm-hmm. Even though they have maybe have a different language, maybe different living environments, all of them are struggling with a similar thought process. Mm. Uh, whether that's a family dynamic or that's a relationship or just happiness, yeah. uh, depression, anxiety. It's so interesting to see people from completely different lives, yeah. different cultures, different religious views mm. coming to me on the same topic. Even in countries that don't even speak English. So they, yeah. they're latching I have to translate on. some of the messages that I get. Wow. They'll wow. send me, you know. So they're latching on to these messages because their English is obviously good enough. To understand, relate, emotionally mm-hmm. connect. Um, and it's, dude, it's really heavy. Yeah. When I first started marketing, like, it definitely put me in a depressive low. Mm. One, it's weird getting any form of attention, like any form of, like, that divide starts being created between yeah. listener and public figure. Yeah. Um, but these messages were so heavy. Hmm. They still like kind of scar my mind, honestly. Like some stuff that's just not, I don't want to, not that I don't want to hear it. Yeah. But like when someone, like if I came to you and said last week and I was like, Ari, heard you track. My mom shot herself last night. Oh. I'm going to kill myself today. Whoa. Uh, is there anything that you can say? Oh my gosh. I can't even, I can barely even say that out loud because it's a true story. Ah. Uh. Like the next day you have opened an Instagram message. It's a photo. You don't know what the photo is. It's blood dripping on a floor and it's somebody cutting their wrist from Hong Kong. What do you do? Well, I've been evolving in my response, uh, shock value the first time this stuff started happening, you know, just kind of like paralyzed, didn't really know what to say besides I'm so sorry, like, are you seeking help? Sometimes I gave them the suicide hotline number. I don't think that's the answer. Uh, I don't think that's an emotionally acceptable avenue, you know, that's well-founded enough to actually prevent suicide. I think it works, I'm so happy that we have that system in place, but not many people are willing to call a stranger to say, I'm thinking about doing this. And the other person doesn't know they are. They don't have any emotional connection to them. They're reaching to me at a time where they can't talk to their friends. They can't talk to their parents because their parents may be the people abusing them or Mm -hmm. causing the problem. They can't go to school counselors because the school counselors, if they share that, they have to tell the principal. Principal has to tell the teacher or the the parents. It's a vicious cycle. Can't talk to their friends. Heaven forbid they put their social status on blow. So what do they do? Okay, if they don't turn to self-harm, they turn to social media. Social media is a super dangerous place uh, where people get cyberbullied. And if you open up, it can be misjudged. It can be used against you, screenshotted. I've had people send me screenshots of them attempting to take my advice, open up to a friend just to have that friend say, dude, you're a douchebag. Like you shouldn't be struggling with this. Like, so it's a vicious, it's like cycle. Um, and it's, dude, it's, it, this is way beyond me. This is way beyond my music. It's way beyond money, business. Like, well, this isn't this necessarily shit is, what this you is, signed up for. But it's it just not kind of found you. Right. But the thing is hip hop, the history of hip hop has almost always had 
a deep sense of struggle and darkness to it. Like it's where it's where we're grounded in. Think all the way back to Run, D, Run DMC, or you know even Dr. Dre. They come from the streets. Mm. Like now, hip hop's not so much just street related, but it comes from storytelling, working through life struggles, mm -hmm. intimidation, battling like aggression, working through shit. That's what hip hop is. Mm -hmm. Whereas you know you look at pop and EDM, you don't get so many of those dark elements. Mm -hmm. Therefore, our music reaches people in dark places. And the difference back then in the Run DMC era um, is that somebody listened to that music, they're not able to send a message to that artist no. to their fucking phone Maybe in their a letter. pocket. Maybe a letter, yeah. but even then it, there's so much uh, distance and space and time and all of that. Or like the only way they get in touch with them is like maybe they'll see him after a show and maybe, maybe but very rarely does that they even get in touch. So like a letter, but who knows if the letter even gets to them because it has to be filtered through their label to their manager. Right. To the, they're not the labels not going to send the, the letter that says I'm going to kill myself to their artist. Right. So we're in, in such an interesting time right now where that's an incredible burden that is put on you and is yeah. put on artists when fans are sending these messages to your phone like this is it's essentially a text that you're getting to your phone and we're in uncharted territory like you're not a trained counselor or therapist no like but that's such a burden and responsibility that i imagine you feel because like by not saying something responding to that then do you feel like you have like there's a weight that 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 you're partly responsible, responsible if i mean you can't feel that way because this is like you're not part of their life i mean it's so easy to say that you can't feel that I, I way i know i know you and right 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 you're right but yeah it's i'm still, i mean you shouldn't have that responsibility because that's just unreasonable but you can't human. you're human so of course right. you're going to see that and you're going to feel about it and you're going to it's going to affect you of course even the closest people to me don't understand like my my best friends yeah my partner like until they actually go through my phone and they look at it even the people who thought they knew what i was reading are like whoa yeah dude oh, man. there's thousands of these things what are you how are you dealing with that right and these people are people i love people i've known for years even me just saying no i'm i'm i promise i'm getting these kind of messages like i don't know what to do about it they're like well that sounds tough like uh you know but reading them, seeing them, receiving them, feeling them is a very different, it's a different energy. Mm. Um, I've had a couple people over the, over the years help respond to my messages because I can't emotionally or time mm -hmm. management wise actually take them in. And it's overwhelming for them too. And they're not even, it's not even going to them. They're just helping on my behalf and they get depressed from it because they're like, oh my God, I can't believe. So there's gotta be some, be, uh... so what happened with this? Like, yeah. so I got depressed with it very hard to take in. Now I'm not saying that I'm numb. I'm not numb. I feel it. It hurts to read, but I've received so many mm. that at this point, it's like, I hear it. I read it. I'm like, hmm. I can like hold it, send back love, give them a few ideas, mm. channel them to my private uh, Instagram for fans, introduce them to other fans struggling with the same things. Wow. And I've created kind of a system and they're, you know, my fans are called Lucidians. Okay. Super supportive, dope people, Incredible. and they help each other. Wow. We have I have over six hundred people in private random groups, uh -huh. and there's thirty five people in each. 
and they're just talking whenever they what have kind of groups. What do you mean? Instagram groups, Facebook groups, oh. group chats. Um, huh. Somebody wakes up and says, I'm thinking about taking pills this morning in Germany. And then somebody from Australia is like, yo, 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 like I'm awake. Call me. Oh my gosh. And like, wow, it's like, so it's like this, and it's very hard to manage because a lot of them are emotionally unstable. Sure. Get angry. You know, there's, there's, when you put that many people together, personalities clash, hmm. people start fighting, feelings get hurt. You didn't show up for me the right way. Mm. You said something insensitive. Like, so I have to try to manage somehow making sure that like, it's a level playing ground and they're yeah. being respectful. Mm. That's impossible. Right. I can't manage it. Right. I'm just doing my best to put them together. I mean, it's just beautiful um, that you've been able to facilitate these kinds of groups, if nothing more than just your name right. that is providing some kind of more personalized support, a support network and system in place with them that you don't have to be there a part of it because that's just not feasible and emotionally probably too draining and taxing. But like you've given them a space to feel comfortable in, which right. is which is a beautiful thing. And that's I mean, if they're not getting that in their local communities and they don't have therapists or counselors or anyone to help them through like that's, that's they take it out on themselves. Right. Um, and then the, the one thing I think is scariest for me, I don't think any of my fans would want to hurt me. I'm just putting that out there. I think they love me. I'm hope, mm -hmm. I, I hope they see me as equal to them. I'm a human. Mm -hmm. Like, come to my shows. Let's, let's have a hug. Let's right. talk. Like, but I have had fans get mad, really mad at me for not responding. Mm. Not threaten me. I've had, a th I've had people threaten to kill themselves if I didn't answer. Mm. But I've had I've had fans tell me that they've they started developing a hate for me mm. because I was not responding. That's and that's what, yeah. scary to me yeah. because one, I wish they would know better. I do. I wish I wish they knew. Like if they know my, that my music and they know the way I'm presenting myself, right. I'm not doing that on purpose. Of course. I just don't. I have I have a life. I mean, too. that's a manipulation like, tactic that a lot of uh, people use to try to get some attention. kind of response and attention. It's a cry for help. Absolutely. Yeah. But at the same time, it, it, it begs the question, like, where is the line for you? I know. Because them, clearly there is no line. So where do you draw the line? Just in the, the industry right now where we're at, it's like artists are supposed to respond to their fans. That's how you build up engagement. That's how you build up connection. And you've experienced that, that people become loyal and true, deeper fans yeah. by responding to them. We get that. But then it can turn unhealthy and then they have this dependency that they need you to respond. And if they don't, then it almost fuels. Right. Happens, right. Have you figured out how to deal with that? No. Okay. The only thing that I've figured out is putting them together. Communicate. If I can't, at least. They well, can. that's, I mean, that's brilliant and that's beautiful. And, and are you at a point now where you say, um, I think that you can find support in this group here. 100%. Okay. We can't get rid of these obstacles in mm -hmm. society. There's major judgment around sexuality, religion, and like cultural divides, sure. politics. I mean, I could list a lot of things there, but that's not going to change. The thing, the, where, where the void is, is there's no place where people can go mm -hmm. as a whole and like remove their identities going in. Like religion's not involved. Sexuality is not involved. Political view is not involved. Mm -hmm. You're just there as a human. Mm -hmm. And you get to talk openly about what you're struggling with, whether that is addiction, 
um, it's anger issues, it's you know an abusive family, whatever it is, mm-hmm. openly talk about the core issue and then get help collaboratively with other people who are also going through it. Mm. That, in my genuine opinion, is the only thing that can fix this epidemic, mm. is bringing people together in a non-judgmental environment to communicate because mm. they don't want to be fixed. I remember five years ago, six years ago, somebody's like, have you ever had therapy? Wall up, no. Therapy is taboo. Therapy means you have problems. Mm. Therapy, blah, blah, blah. Like we have these preconceived notions about what therapy would mean. Sure. Now, five, six years later, I'm more comfortable getting to know someone who has been through therapy. Sure. Because they have an emotional understanding of who they are and what mm-hmm. they've been through. Mm-hmm. I love therapy. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have an abusive childhood to be a candidate for therapy. Absolutely. Like even if you had a perfect childhood, a perceived perfect childhood, sure. we can still benefit from therapy. I, honestly, I've been seeing my therapist for about three years now. It has been the greatest thing in my life. Right. It just helps process through so much. And I mean, I think everyone should have, should see a therapist. I, it's just something that there's, it's not that there's anything wrong with you, but it gives at least that hour a week, I'm able to check in with myself, check in with my feelings and my exactly. emotions and just get realigned on what my vision is and where I'm headed, make sure I'm on the right track and everything is in line. Totally. It's just like, can be super, super helpful. Um, so, so yeah, I know it's, I mean, it sounds like it would be slightly off topic, but like, and, and you, you're going to work with a lot of artists. A lot of musicians are going to come in here, yeah. you know, on these type of interviews and podcasts, not many are in the realm that I'm in. Mm-hmm. Like there are definitely other hip hop artists or even pop artists that are touching yes. on these dynamics. I'm not saying there's a lot of artists dealing with it, mm-hmm. but uh, it is rare to be dealing with it on this level yes. of anxiety, depression, and emotion. Um, so it's crazy that my brand and just like what I've chosen to do yeah. with my life here, it, it's really a lot bigger than music. Yeah. And I'm just saying that at this point in time, given where I'm at, yeah. I love rapping. I rap for myself. I mm-hmm. express like I work through my own shit mm-hmm. with my music. It just so happens to help, you know, millions of people at the same time. Amazing. Yeah. But like now I feel I do feel a sense of responsibility mm-hmm. and calling mm. to do something, mm. whether that and right now that's just connecting the people who are hurting to give them a place to communicate. But I am 100% already in the works and trying to plan something much bigger than that. Um, a more formal platform, a formal vehicle, uh, whether that's connecting nonprofits and like people and organizations already yeah. making an impact and developing my own with mm. the knowledge and experience that I ex- you know, have yes. and the fan base I have and creating an avenue and a place for youth and adults because I have 50-year-olds reach out to me too. Wow. Like just people... Yes. To come, communicate, get help when no one else is there. Because mm. even your best friend that you trust may not be available at 3 a.m. Sure. Are they going to call their psychologist? No. His right. phone's off. Right. And he charges $100 an hour. Right. Are you going to call your mom? Probably not. Too yeah. much judgment. I want a place where people can go. That's great. And like, it doesn't, it doesn't exist right now. Right, so you're creating this. I am. Amazing. Do you have a, are you able to share? I much? can't share okay. too much That's about okay. it. That's okay. But yeah. that, I mean, I'm, I'm uh, excited and intrigued to hear yeah. more about this when that comes because that's fantastic and that's desperately needed. And, and you see this need firsthand and you've experienced it. And that's great that you're able to kind of 
turn this pain that people are experiencing that are they're sharing this with you um, directly online um, and that you are able to kind of create a platform where you see this need and you're going to try to you're going to fill that need absolutely um, so so that's great and i'm going to meet all of them soon because i'm going on tour do you have mm-hmm. advice uh, that's right you're going on tour uh this is your first time so this is um what was the question about advice I'm well okay i want to get to this tour in a second but uh do you have advice because i work with artists we work with artists who are starting to experiment with with marketing mm-hmm. and people are coming into their world from all over the world and yeah. they're coming into sending messages to them similarly where they're very sometimes dark messages Mm. do you have advice for artists who are receiving dark messages from fans and how do you deal with that how do you one what it what do you do do you respond do you ignore it do you block them or and if you do respond what do you say yeah and and then how can an artist protect themselves emotionally from receiving these i've i've Mm -hmm. talked to a couple artists who are in our course uh, we're doing marketing and they're telling me some of these messages that they're receiving and especially the women like you're a man I know just imagine what yeah. women have to go through yeah. uh, from just creepy men all over the world and like the messages that they're receiving yeah it's in, it's insane and like yeah. do you have advice for these artists dealing with that and how to respond three things came up the female mm-hmm. okay that alone the good news is at least for Instagram you can view a message before you accepted it you can look at it mm-hmm. and you can choose to delete, block, or accept. Mm. So at least you can view the content okay. before you open the message. And they do blur the image if you don't know them. And yeah, and right. Things, and yeah. If I was a woman, I would not accept any messages in without viewing the general situation first. Okay. Like make sure if there's sexual stuff and pictures and it's, I wouldn't open it. Right. I would just hit block, yeah. delete, whatever. Sure. Um, secondly, I have one rule and I've always had one rule for four years. I can't answer everyone, mm-hmm. but if I open the message, I will respond. Okay. I do not leave anyone on read. Like I do not allow you to see that I opened your message and mm. then ignore you. Right. Because, because if you accept the message and you they open see that. it, it sees that it was read. They see that. And right. I know how shitty that feels to send a message and not get answered, but know that they read it. Yeah. It's like the worst feeling. Right. So I'm, I will open it and then I will, you know, properly sit, read through decide how I feel. There's a couple rules. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously the goal is to make them feel heard. Mm-hmm. So your terminology is very important. Mm. Um, acceptance, relatability, saying, understanding, like I've been here, I dealt with this. I understand how you feel. Um, I just want to thank you and let you know that although I may not be able to reply again, you kind of, you have to let them know that you can't have an ongoing conversation. That's where it gets weird. Mm. But if you let them know, hey, I don't really get to respond once they're going to expect another response. Yeah. You respond to 50, right. 60 come back. Like, it, right. so you have to set that boundary up front, okay. but just giving them respect, recognizing what they're saying, uh, making them know like this does get better. I've been through similar things. And, you know, by the way, I'd love to introduce you to my, you know, maybe they have a fan group yeah. or other people that they can put them in touch so with. So you, so you do still respond to people. You think, do you think artists should be responding to all the messages that come in? No, <clears throat> I don't think it's realistic. Okay. I, even initially in the first month, it was hard to hit everybody. Yeah. Um, and it's also kind of been weird for me 
because I've been checking in on people who I've responded to maybe like six months ago, mm -hmm. a genuine response yep. uh, to a tough message. And they chose to unfollow me. So huh. like I've, I've seen, I think I checked like 25 accounts. I was like, all right, I'm going to do a test. Yeah. Like 12 of the 25 accounts that we had a genuine, yep. yo, yo, your music changed my life. Yep. You know, I, I answer 12 of them chose to unfollow me. So it, did they unfollow you because then they, they responded to your response and then you didn't respond back to them? And that's a couple why? of those maybe, Okay, but some of them was just, a, a so I'm thing. actually curious then I wonder if you just don't respond to these messages and, or don't like accept them or open them if they would still stay fans and understand the, the fan artist dynamic that you're not the, um, you're not the person that they can lean on because at that, at that stage, and maybe they will, you know, would they stay a fan and because yeah. of that, but because you gave into that, um, maybe that they, you gave them a little bit and then they wanted more and because you couldn't give them more then they, they turned that love into hate. Right. Or they it's, checked out. I, I really wish I had the perfect answer. Sure. But I will say in my heart, I will believe that the genuine connection, even if it's once mm. just recognizing somebody, I see you, I hear you. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. I believe that will have a more cohesive long-term impact mm. than ignoring all of them. Yeah. I have to believe that. I just yeah. do. Because I've, I've developed, you know, good connections with a lot of them. And yeah. they've really shown up and supported me if I needed them to share new music or, you know, you know whatever, a contest or some, they show up. So I don't think it would be as strong of a fan base if I never opened my messages. Mm. With that being said, there has to be a line. Yeah. Yes. Because tour, album, different companies, like, I, we only have so much time. Right. And I, I could hire somebody right now to answer all of them. I could. Okay. I why, don't, why won't you? I don't because it's not real. And for me, I understand that it's cool, maybe from a brand business perspective, yeah. efficiency perspective, to have somebody answering as me. Mm -hmm. But this is just my opinion, not saying sure. it's wrong, but like morally and just like, when I respond, I want them to know that it's me. Because mm. they're, not, they're not sending detailed information about their addiction and potentially ending their life to an administrative assistant. Mm -hmm. That's not what they're doing. They're sending it to Lucidius. And right. I want to respect that. Mm. And I, it may not be like the best business move. Um, that's just where I'm at right now. Yeah. So if I miss some, I miss some. Mm. When I answer, I answer. I feel like, you know, whether called the universe or divine or God, I feel like I'm guided, you know, somebody's guiding me to open and do what I need to do. Okay. Um, because it just, it's very odd. Sometimes I decide to open something random yeah. and it really ended up being one that I, some intervention needed to go down. Wow. So, okay. Um, okay. So that you feel that you know, that, is, that is a calling, that is a, a higher purpose that, that you need to um, involve myself, involve in. yourself in right now. Okay. Um, so getting to the tour now, you're, you're going to, you're about to go out on your first tour ever. Yeah. Play shows the first time playing a show in what? Two years, three years. Yeah. Um, almost two years. Two years. Um, I played at the hotel cafe. Like uh, I didn't count. I did, okay. I, did, I did one track at the hotel cafe. Right. But it was unannounced. Right. Right. Okay. So, so you're now doing, uh, this is announced formal this is announced headline tickets, headlining yeah. your names on the bill. Right. 
Um, what, how are you feeling going into this, this tour? Like, what are your, what are the, what are the excitements? What are the fears? Like, right. what are you thinking about going into this tour? Honestly, I'm, uh, I'm very like a striking balance between anxious and excited. Okay. I'm, I'm so excited to get to meet the people that have been holding me up mm -hmm. financially, emotionally, like making this a career yeah. because there's no show if there's no audience. Right. So great. I want to respect them. I want to be there. I want to meet them. Excited. Mm -hmm. Anxiety. I want to do it right. Yeah. I want to be good. I want them to feel like they walked away with it. I want to sell tickets. You know, I, right. I, I've got, I've got. <laughs> Make sure people actually show up. You never know. I've got a big fan base, but as you know, yep. in, in this world, like yep. there is, um, there's a disconnect between listeners and the ability to pull fans yes. to a show. Yes. And I have not yet experienced that. Right. So, uh, We'll find out who so shows up. So what, uh, what size rooms are you booking for this first tour uh, ever? Two, two to 300. Okay. That's a great start. Yeah. Um, and tickets are on sale for a couple of them right now. Uh, yeah. What are all the dates on this tour? Where are you looking to hit for this initial run? Um, the Satellite, downtown LA, mm -hmm. December 13th. Manhattan, January 22nd. Toronto, Canada, 20, January 24th. Mm -hmm. And Chicago, February 8th. Okay. Um, cool. And why did you choose these cities? Well, one, BJ, my tour manager yeah. has affiliations there. Okay. So it's a lot easier to just sync up. Okay. Two, all four of these places are higher up on my analytics. Yep. Um, cities, more condensed population of my fan base. Yep. I feel as though it would be easier to pull, you know, ticket sales. So you looked at your analytics and you saw that these were some of your biggest cities. Like yep. Chicago. Chicago is my number one. Okay. LA is, I think, three Okay. Yeah, so like Toronto is like five or six. Yeah. So yeah, it makes sense yep. that we would pick these first. Mm -hmm. um, and we're doing like VIP meet and greets. Like, cool. And that's just weird to me because like, yeah. I, I, you're just meeting me. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. Just a little, you can call but, them fan experiences, whatever yeah, you want to package know, and know, make it feel better. But it's yes, cool. yes, totally. I it's understand. just this idea of people paying more right. to have a personal experience with me. And that's so cool. Yeah. Like that someone would be willing to pay out of their pocket to mm -hmm. get a, a picture, yeah. say something, ask a question, like, mm -hmm. and support me, like, further. Because we've already had some VIP, well, like, like Toronto, we really haven't pushed sales at all yet. Yeah. Um, like, within the first couple of days, like, four to seven people bought VIP tickets. Wow. And I was like, whoa. I was like, that's really dope. And Do you, two of them are flying in. Amazing. From different parts of Canada. Wow. You know? Like that's cool. What? Are, how are you running your your VIP program? Because there's I've heard so many different kinds of ways, especially on tours at this level where there's just yeah. two three hundred cap rooms. Um, what kind of have you discussed the like activities the or the events or the experience? Yeah, yeah, what are you doing with these people that are coming? It's gonna fluctuate, but okay. Ultimately, they get in early, like early access. They get okay. a VIP laminate, so they can have more access to different parts of the venue. Maybe okay. Um, they're getting in for a personal one, like interview slash Q and A. So you're gonna like, hang out with them before the show. Before, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So they'll be like 20 or 30, just me, just them. Okay. They're asking questions. We're interacting. I'm sharing cool. pictures. Sweet. Give them merch. Gives them merch, maybe a signed poster. Mm -hmm. Um, make sure they have the option to get up front for the actual show. Cool. Um, yeah, just Correct. inclusive. Yes. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the, um, the live QA is gonna be incredible. And the fact that it's just 20, 30 people, you can go and you can actually give everyone a hug, shake yes. everyone's hands talk to everyone, have a moment with everybody and, you know, hear some of their stories and, totally. and talk to them. Um, that's exciting. That's great. Um, have you made, are you going to have merch for this tour? Yeah. Yeah? yeah. We just finished all the designs and we, 
uh, linked up with a distributor, uh, we'll, we'll have it ready. Dope. What yeah. kind of merch? Uh, well, just, there's like three different hoodie designs, Hoodies, dope, okay. dope beanies, caps, Sweet. shirts. Yeah. But we're going to be extending way into, uh, you know, yoga pants, like sweatpants, cool. like just a bunch of stuff. Do you know if your audience skews male or female? It depends on the platform. Like Spotify is predominantly male. It's like 65% male. And then Instagram, I think females. Interesting. You know, so I, I, you know, I don't know why. Okay. I guess we'll um, see you at the shows yeah. where, where the skews there. Um, do you know, looking at your analytics, the age breakdown is, yeah. what, is what is your like? Uh, 18 to 24 is my number one. Number two would be whatever, like the 24, 25 to like 28, 29. Okay. And then third is 17 and under. Because 18 to 24, are you booking 18 plus rooms? Yeah. Okay. LA is 21 up. Sure. Canada is 19 drinking age. Okay. So has to be 19 and up. But we're, we're trying to do... 18 and up always, if not all ages. Gotcha. Because I've already had some fans, 15, 16, 17, reach out and be like, yeah, I can't go. Right. I'm like, ah, I'm Next trying, time to, around. Yeah. trying to yeah. figure it out. Yeah. Um, the other piece, this is like looping back around, but the other yeah. piece that you said with opening the messages of what an artist should do, mm -hmm. of how, we, I didn't answer it, okay. of how to emotionally handle, like how to not take on the baggage. Yes. And one thing, like a turning point for me in Florida that I've now applied throughout my life, but definitely uh -huh. with these is, is meditation. Okay. And it, I know it, not to sound like cliche, like sure. meditate, yeah. focus on your breathing. Like yeah. it really, it really is a life changing mm. experience. And at the end of the day, opening those messages, whether it's a threat, whether it's a sexual message from a male mm -hmm. or something really heavy emotionally, mm -hmm. it's going to come in. It's going to mm -hmm. hit. Mm -hmm. um, it's our, it's our obligation to, at least respond with respect. And then we also have an obligation to ourselves to take a second, like disconnect from social media, disconnect from people, mm -hmm. calm down, like breathe it out, mm -hmm. digest it, mm -hmm. and don't emotionally carry it throughout the rest of the day. Because what happens is you hear something, it's just like, you know, right before I get to your office, somebody cuts me off, yeah. I'm late, I'm angry, yeah. I walk up, yeah, let's go, Ari. Right. I carried the traffic experience. Right. You know, that happened in the past. But the only way to actually consciously segment those experiences mm. is to focus on your breathing, you know, and really emotionally digest what happened and let yeah. it go. Do you have a meditation practice, like a regular practice that you do? Or yeah. is this? I mean, I, I love, I mean, I'll do it to guided meditations is how I started usually. Okay. Um, there's a lot of dope apps like Insight Timer, Headspace. Like, sure. Uh, where they, they help you guide you know, through that. Mm -hmm. Then you reach a point, or at least I reached a point where I could do it to either in silence or uh, to binaural beats or classical piano, mm -hmm. something peaceful. And the mind is a chattery place. Yes. So the, the, the way I look at it, like, cause I've, I've ran a lot of people through meditations. It's just the idea of imagining that. Cause the way that in that sentence, you've probably thought of four different things. Mm -hmm. Like a thought comes in, it's like a train. Mm -hmm. A thought comes in, and we can choose to get on that train and ride it for as long as we want. Sure. And like, we're going to have a fucking fiesta on that train. Right. <laughs> so, like, so like that train could be finance. Like for some reason, bills comes up and I'm like, bills. Right. I get on. I get on. And, I, and I'm like, got my phone bill. Right. Got this bill. Can I afford that bill? Did I have groceries last night? Yeah. Oh, fuck. Oh, get yeah. off that. Right. Oh, there that train goes. Oh, fashion. I need new clothes. Right. And before you know it, Zara. So like each, each thought, each mm. train can just spread like spider web sure. for four hours, five hours, 
Or we can just see the train go, Bill's, whew, next. Yeah. Bill's gone. Uh, so like technically our brain is doing its job, which is to think. Mm. Our brains are not going to stop thinking. Yeah. But what we can control is our breathing and how much attention we give to those thoughts. Mm -hmm. So like we just kind of let them pass, let them pass. Mm -hmm. And it's the best way to stay present. Mm -hmm. Like you could be talking and it's nothing personal. We're yeah. just human. You could be saying something very interesting yeah. and I could start thinking about broccoli. Totally. And how much I want to cook broccoli tonight. Yes. And not hear you. Right. So I have to like. Broccoli is quite compelling in fairness. <laughs> <laughs> if it's cooked right. Right, right. Uh, so my point is like. Yes. It comes down to attention like and, and, and what we focus on because I care about what you say. Yeah. And by the end of the day. But that's a practice. And it's so a by, practice. By, by going through this. This. Um, Focused meditation, the guided meditation, it, you're saying that it helps you in every other aspect of your life oh, yeah. with focus, with intention, with uh, being able to to uh, shed those experience, those negative experiences a lot quicker and not carrying that up through your day if you right. get cut off in traffic or something like that. So that's something that so you're encouraging you say an artist, you would encourage a meditation practice potentially. I probably couldn't encourage anything with more okay. power and value. Um, yeah. Because at the end of the day, artists, everyone's struggling. Yeah. Artists are struggling with a very disorganized, highly emotional lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Like we don't operate on no normal rules of society. Mm -hmm. Like my work schedule is if I'm inspired at 2 a.m., that's when work starts. I'm writing a song sure. at 2 a.m. Whereas people have a structure. They wake up, they shower, they have their eggs, right. they're at work by nine, yep. lunch at 12. My life does not operate that way. Right. <laughs> in fact, my life doesn't ever turn off. Yeah. So in order to set conscious boundaries, especially when so much energy is coming at us at all times, yeah. I can look at my phone, 400 people listening to you right now, mm -hmm. 294 right now. And it's like, I could get sucked in mm. so fast right. and never leave. Yeah. So meditation is the only way, in mm. my opinion, to, to create some separation sure. and to actually allow inspiration in. Mm -hmm. Because if we're clouded, stressed out, thinking about bills and food and this and distribution, mm -hmm. how the hell are we going to emotionally check in and write a song? Totally. Absolutely. You can't. Yeah. Yeah. You got to be, be present. Yeah. And, and for me, that, the only way that I ever could get present was meditating. Mm. And it's not like everyone's like, Suji, you have to sit cross-legged right, and right, take right, a deep right, breath right, right. In, a, in a Buddha temple. I'm like, yeah. No, yeah. I could go meditate in this corner yeah. with other people in the room. Uh, okay. You just, do, you just do it quick. Sure. It's just the idea of we all get our own practice. Mm -hmm. It's the idea of just calm down. Yes. Calm down. Calm down. Reset. There's a lot more time in the day than we realize there is. Mm -hmm. There's time for everything. We just can't let our emotions get the best of us. Calm down. I like that. Calm down. Yeah, right. <laughs> calm down. In every so, aspect. Cool. And that, I wrote on there, shift perspectives. Yes. Because I had a... I met a, a performance coach for the first time like two weeks ago and she worked with Lil Nas and like uh -huh. some really dope people. And we were listening to my music. She was asking me about my, my anxieties and all this shit. And she was like, what are you here to do with your music? Mm. Sum it down to like two words, three words. What are you doing overall? Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I've thought about it a lot. I feel like my purpose here is to shift perspectives. Mm. Call it the app, call it like the nonprofit world, call it the music, mm -hmm. all of it comes down to shifting perspectives, 
relating, expressing, mm -hmm. being vulnerable, yes. talking for what? The purpose of shifting your perspective. Fantastic. And whatever that means for, that, for them at that time, um, because I genuinely believe that perspective is the most important skill that we can acquire in, like in this lifetime. Mm. Because yes. we can't change the fact that, I'll get deep, we can't change the fact that at one point in time, our parents have to die. Mm -hmm. Depressing. We can change how we view it. Mm -hmm. These things will happen. We will get rejected on Submit Hub. Right. We will forget a lyric <laughs> when we're live. Right. We will lose a friend. Yeah. The only thing we control is the perspective towards it. I love it's that. like a space. Yeah. Action's here. Mm -hmm. This is our world. Mm. Meditation is going into our world to respond differently. And if we're not meditating, then we're just reacting. Mm -hmm. It's the first emotion. Getting pissed off, saying something we shouldn't have said. Uh, whatever it is. Yeah. And the only, it's our obligation to ourselves to create space between the action and our response. Yes. And then for me, that's meditation. Mm. It, you can look at it from an actionable perspective. Like, yeah. It's a practice. Yes. You know? Um, and I think if artists can work on that, mm -hmm. their art will get better. Their organization will get better. I have 3,300 files and subfolders because <laughs> after, I, after, <laughs> after I'm done meditating, I'm like, wait. <laughs> My stems folder for live for January 23rd. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ask anyone on my team. Like, right, right. It's way too organized. Shift Might be OCD. Yeah, yeah. But um, that's great. Well, this, um, yeah, shift perspective. I love that. Calm down, all of it. Um, yeah. This is great. I, I ask, um, I have one question that is like kind of the, asking all my guests. Okay. Um, and um, how do you define, uh, what it means to make it in oh, the yeah. new music business. Um, so I like the, the top one I wrote. It says choose passion over money and then merge the two. Yes. Okay. For me, making it is sustainability financially. I do know that is a huge piece of it. Mm -hmm. Can't lie. You can't make it, in my opinion, really without feeling comfortable enough to manage a lifestyle financially. Mm -hmm. So yes, there, I think there's a financial piece. Um, but, and I'm not going to say happiness. I think as long as we're passionate about like what we're creating, there's intent, there's meaning, there's some form of like satisfaction from what we're doing. Not how do I write the next pop hit? Mm -hmm. You're in it for the wrong fucking reasons mm -hmm. if you're writing the next pop hit. Mm -hmm. But if you're relating to what you're doing, uh, you're impacting lives, and you're waking up with the ability to financially manage your lifestyle, you're successful. I don't care if you have 100,000 fans or 10 million fans. I can tell you right now, I thought that a million streams mm -hmm. or a million would make me happy. Yeah. No. Mm. After a million, it had to be two. After two, it had to be three. Now I can confidently say on Spotify, I have like 85 to 100 million streams, and there is no difference in my feeling from that and the first million. Hmm. There's absolutely no difference. Mm -hmm. And it seems crazy. They're like, no, dude, if I had 85 million streams, I'd be happy because mm -hmm. I have money coming in. But what happens when that money runs out? Yeah. You gotta make another hit. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta reconnect, mm -hmm. keep going. So it has nothing, nothing to do with numbers. Mm -hmm. Literally. In terms of business, numbers matter. Analytics matter. I get it. Mm -hmm. Like for media, for labels, cool. 
Mm -hmm. It's relevant, but it has nothing to do with success. Yeah. At least for me. That's why the third album is called Enough. Mm -hmm. And it's the You Are Enough tour. Nice. Because enough is not in an external value. Enough is we already are enough. Mm -hmm. Enough is. Because enough is just what is. (laughs) You can't fill enough. It's a a never-ending void. And we can only feel like enough with with what we're given which is our mind our body and like the ability to breathe i'm getting really basic right now but like no i, it's great. I mean yeah i don't know what other people are going to respond no with. It's, like, i love it it's perfect yeah lucidius thank you so much uh this thank has you. been an incredible um very um interesting uh conversation and uh yes. i i the love, focus I being love broccoli rant. But focus being broccoli, the the biggest takeaway of this. (laughs) Cool. Well, best of luck on the tour. I'm sure it's going to go amazing. I will be at that LA show. And I encourage everyone listening here to go to check them out. Where can they find you? Where's the best place? Uh, At Lucidius, Instagram, Spotify. Okay. L-U-C-I-D-I-O-U-S. We'll put all this information in the show notes. And we will share all of that info. And yeah, go see them on tour. Listen to music, all that stuff. And uh, cool. Thanks so much. Take care. Brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com.